everyone. This is Sarah Jean from Ron Book Pod. Welcome back to season two. Before we get started today, I just wanted to speak about a loss that our community has experienced. Corey Alexander slash Zan West passed away this week, and it is an incalculable loss to the community for all of the advocacy they did for marginalized communities, for neurodivergence, trans, disability rep, everything in between. Um, one of their favorite tropes was friends to lovers, and so this episode is dedicated to their love of that trope. So today's theme is friends to lovers, and here with me today is Anna Clutterbuck Cook, who is a lovely, lovely reference librarian, research yep. librarian, reference librarian, reference librarian at the Mass Historical Society in Boston. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Glad to be here today. So Friends to Lovers is, it was, at first it was hard to find books for it because not everyone labels their stuff Friends to Lovers. Uh, and then as you're sitting here like, oh, wait, technically this is Friends to Lovers. And what counts as Friends to Lovers? <laughs> Do they have to be friends since childhood? Can they be friends from college? Can it be a work friend? Like what counts as that? Yeah, I think we had, um, we were sort of, as we were collecting titles for this episode, I think we had some really good conversations about how we were thinking about the boundaries of the trope, <laughs> which don't have to have really firm boundaries, but it was kind of interesting to think about maybe all the permutations of that genre. So yeah, how, how, did, how did the characters who become lovers become friends in the first place? Um, there's definitely that sort of a group of stories I think that emerged from our list that were people who had known each other from childhood and then the friendship evolves into something more. And then we had a group of looking at our list here, we can talk about specific titles in a bit, you know, people who met as adults in one context or another who start out as as friends and then they're kind of navigating their way toward um, something more romantic, but the the relationship has already been pre-established as something else. And so one one or eventually both partners are, people are trying to figure out like, is this friendship going in a romantic direction or not? And how do I check in with the other person to figure out <laughs> if they also want it to go in that direction? Um, so I think that was what, that the sort of longevity of the friendship versus the lover portion of the relationship, I think was one thing that we came up with as a as a question that emerges from that trope and how we think about it as i was thinking earlier as i was reading um the fanfic that cat had recommended me truth may vary the stucky one um by mugward and murr um i was just sitting here thinking well the entire ship fanfic ship canon of stucky of stephen bucky from captain from marvel is essentially just all friends to lovers but also is partly friends to enemies to lovers depending on how <laughs> you use the Winter Soldier aspect of Bucky. Like there's definitely stories that don't go into the Winter Soldier stuff and it's just them and their childhood friends, the lovers. And then it's a lot of reconnecting with your enemy who tried to kill you and all your <laughs> friends and other things. And there was, um, it was an interesting video I found on YouTube about queer baiting in the modern era. And yeah. the person was talking specifically about MCU Stephen Bucky rather than comic book Stephen Bucky and how they frame a lot of the relationship in the movies. And I mean, I'm sure there's elements in the comics too that you can argue for that as well, but I've seen more of the movies than the comics because the comics are, there's so many, but it's just 
so in, it's just a really interesting thing that I was thinking about. I was like, wait a second, this entire ship is this. And there are a lot of other ships like that. Yeah, I mean, when, it, when you asked me about coming on to the podcast to talk about friends to lovers, one of my very first thoughts as someone who came to the romance genre through fan fiction is that like the entire phenomena of queer fan fiction is basically comes out of friends to lovers as a trope because we build we build romantic and erotic fanfic out of stories in mainstream media that our friendships are really that are portrayed as platonic friendships right or enemy of frenemies <laughs> you you know looking at our list here you know, you've got um a lord of the rings epic fanfic on here like there there are just entire bodies of work fanfic that are friends in canon that are portrayed as non-sexual relationships that in queer versions of that are completely are romantic and erotic and and so there's like this whole uh, uh there's a, a well-worn path of taking those friendships and turning them into romantic relationships um that just happens over and over and over again in, in queer creator communities um that i think i also see in the romance genre but i think is much is much more culturally stronger in fanfic and i think comes out then in um, MM and FF romance specifically um, because we're see we're used to that narrative. And I think we also, in thinking about this episode, I actually asked on on Twitter whether people thought that sort of the friends to lovers trope was particularly or inherently queer, because I as a queer person definitely experience in my own past the I, the feeling that like there's both there's both more space and there's both more both there's both more space and more confusion around the boundaries between friendship and romantic relationships. Oh, totally. Uh, um, like, right. I have a friend who was like, I thought we went on a date. I think we were trying to figure it out, but neither of us do, were like, do we say something? Like, how does this work? Because like, granted, I went to an all women's college, but that didn't help any trying to figure out how to date women. <laughs> Um, but it was just right. like the boundaries are really unclear and like even in childhood you so and the, I will in the show notes we can link to this post but I was part of a um, I was interviewed for a book at one point about romantic relationships and a follow-up question um, about same-sex friendships came up from the author and she was asking for the women who identified as queer how we experience same same-sex friendships in childhood and reflecting on that, sort of thinking about the experience of how my friendships with other girls were was, were or were not policed as a child versus my friendships with boys really made me stop and think about the ways in which I had a lot more freedom to be really intimate with women, with girls, right? We had sleepovers together, we had you know, all this like time that was not monitored and was also not sexualized by the adults around us because little girls play together. Um, and it's really natural for them to be really close. This is like in the 80s and early 90s and communities where like we that was not considered, you know, sexual activity or pre-sexual activity. And whereas like the minute you start spending time with 
boys as a little girl, you start getting teased about having a boyfriend and you start self-monitoring those relationships for like, are we, are, is, will this be a romantic relationship? Is there romantic, will it be read as a romantic relationship? Is there romantic potential there? Like the parents start saying like, you can't be alone together or you can't be out late at night together. Or, like you can't go up to your room. Um, there's all these rules in place around that friendship. That they're not, there isn't for same sex friendships in a lot of contexts. And so I see that also in, in fiction, in some of these examples where, um, like one of the books that we have, uh, Ladies Desire, the Lily Maxton story about the, it's a historical, yeah. you know, the two girls have grown up together and had a lot of, you know, they've had a passionate friendship, right? In the 19th century, that's completely normal for young women to have a really close and really intimate relationship together. And it is not sexualized in girlhood and then they get to a point where they're supposed to then transfer those kinds of affections to um, an opposite sex relationship in marriage and for those two women they decide that's not how they want to do it <laughs> and end up realizing that they want to to stay in a relationship together but I but I think that you see that in a number of these especially if the people have grown up together as playmates, that they've been given a lot of freedom to develop intimacy in childhood, specifically because they are same-sex, you know, a same-sex pair, and then the adults around them say, oh, this isn't a sexual relationship. Yeah, no. Surrounded by people who are assuming they're going to grow up to be straight. Um, yeah, totally. It's so important to see those kind of relationships in historicals that are mixed pairings. Um, and it also makes me think about um, how when people talk about romantic friendships in the 18th and 19th and early 20th centuries, when queer people have like these really good friends, and they're like, oh, they're not gay. They just had a romantic friendship. It's, and it's like, but why can't you read it this way? Like, we need to have that interest in exploring that aspect. Yes, what one one way of reading it is not more valid than another way of reading it in the sense of like it's it's no it's no less valid to read it as a sexual relationship than it is to read it as a non-sexual relationship. Um, we don't have to hold it to a higher standard <laughs> um, in order to read it as a sexual relationship. I always love E. Ottoman. I'm blanking on the title. It's the book about the historian where they're trying to research the couple in the photograph. Let me look for it a second while we're talking. E.E. E. Ottoman in Documenting Light, contemporary romance about two characters who are researching a historical couple who they think were likely a queer couple. And all they have is the photograph to go on that they feel represents the couple as a, as a pair. Um, and they're trying to figure out the circumstances under which the photograph was taken and the one one um, of the two people the main characters is a trained historian has done some some work and is working as an archivist and the other person is a lay researcher who has stumbled on this photograph and is trying to learn more about them and so the person who has come out of this academic background is explaining that um, a lot of times people who do queer history get pushed back um, about identify about looking at evidence like this and saying these people 
these people were probably in a relationship because you don't have evidence that uses those words, right? You don't have letters where they say like, I really want to have sex with you tonight. <laughs> um, thank you for the lovely orgasm that you gave me yesterday, right? You don't have yeah. those kinds of those words. Um, and so people are like, why are you seeing sex in all of these relationships? They were just really good friends. And there's a great passage where the, the person um, says, you know, what if we, what if we, you know, threw presumed heterosexuality out the window and just assumed everyone was a little bit queer um, instead and came at all of this evidence from the assumption that, you know, that assumption turning the things on its head and saying like, you know, we need just as much evidence for queer history as we've always used for heterosexuality, which is, you know, well, they were photographed together in this intimate um, in, in, you know, this photograph that makes them look like a couple, therefore they were probably a couple. I, I'm definitely all for the, you know, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, definitely probably was a duck. <laughs> Very queer duck. So one of um, our favorites, my favorites, Friends to Lovers, is definitely Two Rogues Make a Right by Cat Sebastian. And it's probably my favorite example of very, like, low, I don't want to say low plot, because there's plot. It felt very much like I was reading a fanfic Friends to Lovers. Because um, it's like, just just how it smoothly, the realization of, oh, we're actually, like, love love, rather than we're just really good friends, smoothly went. Like, there were a couple bumps here and there. And they were both idiots for a while because they're idiots. Because essentially, uh, Two Rogues Make a Right is the last Sedgwick book. It's Will, who was the Sedgwick brother who went to sea. Um, and Martin, who was the son of the landowner that paid for a lot of the Sedgwick schooling. Um, and I also appreciate how it's a character who has tuberculosis. And like, while it's written as it's a chronic condition because it was it's it's not written as if it's the end of the world like you don't feel that their relationship is doomed because martin has tuberculosis yes yeah i always appreciate how um cat works in like both both health health and other sort of disability issues in a way that helps the characters manage those chronic conditions in a way that doesn't feel dismissive to the way that those things really do impact their lives. As you say, like tuberculosis was a chronic condition back then. So like there's, you know, there are real health issues. Um, Martin really has, you know, recurring fevers and periods of time when he is feeling really shitty. Um, and so it's not just like, oh, you know, love is gonna cure everything. Um, but at the same time, it really feels like a genuine happily ever after at the end. And they really also is. got matching tattoos with birds <laughs> that represent yeah, each I, other's names. <laughs> I have I have told Kat multiple times ever since the first Cedric book came out that um that I feel like this this series was the one that somehow she wrote entirely to murder me. Like I <laughs> I don't know, from like the, the homeschooled children in the Lake District to the matching tattoos at the end of this book, I just feel like it was murder. I, <laughs> I like all Kat's books, and I suppose the disclosure is Kat is now a very good friend, so I'm partially biased on this. 
Um, but um, with all of Kat's books, they get perpetually more queer. Like all the all three of the Cedric brothers know that they're queer. They yeah. know, and like I don't think they talk about it as much with Ven, who's the vicar, but like Hartley and Will definitely definitely talk about it more. Like, I think one of the things that um, Kat does really well, and then I think the friends to lovers genre of romance, I think it has as a real strength in part because of the fact that the characters are friends (laughs) is building queer community. That's both like an extended friendship network and also an extended family, um, which for a lot of queer people overlaps because you have yeah. sort of found family slash sometimes in in this case especially in the in the romance genre and in the fanfic genre like everybody's gay <laughs> you know we love to just like make everyone gay and so like it's completely cool to have every single Cedric brother be some flavor of queer statistically you know statistic odds aside and I, I have done that in my own fanfiction just like I just make everyone multiple generations of family members can totally all be queer in some way um a a couple of people on twitter when we were talking about this trope pointed out that one of the the strengths of the friends to lovers trope particularly for queer people um one of the powerful draws is that when someone is already a, a an intimate friend you know that person cares about you already like you vetted you vetted them (laughs) like you have you have an um you can be emotionally vulnerable with them and they are also connected to your world in some way um the the hows and the whys of that it are dependent on the story obviously but for people for whom it's it's often very dangerous to be yourself in certain contexts um a lot of the sort of more like meet cute or blind date kind of like sudden meetings that um, some romance tropes depend on can feel very dangerous for queer people um, because you don't know how people are going to react to you know various parts of who you are and parts of your experience and so a friends to lovers trope can situate the person who you're going to be vulnerable with in the context of both a long history that you share with that person and also in your community of people who know you and who know this person. And that makes the conditions under which you're going to have this more vulnerable, intimate relationship a lot safer and ultimately potentially a lot more um, fruitful is not the right word, but like a lot more rewarding. Yeah. There's a real powerful draw in that friends to lovers trope for like, I don't have to start all over again with you. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Oh, (laughs) you know what baggage I'm bringing here. (laughs) You know what I've been through. You know how how I've worked to get to this point in my life where I'm actually really proud of who I am and how I've come to be this person. And you love me for all of my weird idiosyncrasies and you know that's really great and I don't have to keep explaining myself over and over and over again to you exactly um, one <laughs> of the books I'm currently reading that does this really well but like 
as a later in life friendship as Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. Um, it's a queer MF from Avon. And I knew like Danny was bi and I was like, okay, I'll get to it eventually. And then Kat was like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand how gay <laughs> this book is. Sarah, this book is very gay. It's like small change by Rowan Parish gay. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll bump it up my list. And then the library hold came in and I was like, yes. So um, Danny is a PhD in progress. PhD in progress. She has her bachelor's, she has her master's, she's going for her PhD. And so she does like these lit classes at this college in the UK. And she is like friendly with the security guard of the building who just, they like, she brings him a coffee. He gives her a protein bar. So she actually has something to eat in the morning. And then they have like friendly banter back and forth. And they have like a kind of like, not really a work relationship, but like a work friendship of like, we're at the same place, but we're not like, in positions of authority over each other, really. And Danny is black. She's got pink hair? Pink hair. Yes, she has pink hair. Based um, on the cover of the book, I would say pink hair. <laughs> uh, the next one had purple hair. So I was like, wait a second, which <laughs> sister has which hair? Um, and then Zafir is Muslim. He is non-practicing Muslim, I think. I think the book was more specific and now I can't remember. Um, but he was a rugby player who lost his father and brother in a tragic accident and deals with anxiety issues and depression issues still stemming from that. And he teaches young boys how to express non-toxic masculinity and deal with their emotions through rugby practice. Excellent. So they decide for the sake of his charity to pretend <laughs> they're dating and then like, uh, the part where I was at, they're at a radio interview, and the radio's like, host's like, okay, we're gonna see if you're couple goals, so answer these questions about each other, and they're both like, shit, we're not actually a couple, we won't know these questions, and then it turns out they do know these questions, right, right. and then, like, Danica's so surprised that Zafir actually listens to her when she talks about her research, and it's just, I like the process of them, because Dan Danny doesn't do relationships because of I assume past reasons I'm not there yet. So they're like, okay, this is fake. This is everything's fake. And I like how so far the transition is with them as a fake relationship, probably going into a real one. I also like how it the story opens with Danny talking with one of her friends about like an ex one night stand hookup she had and like how that person wanted more of a relationship and Danny didn't. So I like how immediately it was like, and it keeps coming up because Zafir thinks she, like, he talked about Jill and Ellen Monet and then Danny was like, oh, yeah, she's really hot. And then he, like, talked about herself and Danny was like, yeah, he's cool. So he's like, I'm pretty sure she's gay. So she's probably not into dudes. And then, he, when, then when she's like, I'm bi, he's like, oh, okay, cool. And so, like, I like how it continues to be a thing in the book rather than it's a one-off mention at the beginning and never dealt with again. Yeah. Like... It's, it's a continuous plot thread, which I appreciate from uh, cis MF romances because I don't get enough queer MF in my life. Yeah, and you really notice it when I I had just I just finished reading one MF where like one of the characters was like drive by by in the sense of like mentioned it once or twice, but then it never came up again, and it didn't really matter for the character development which is really frustrating. Um, and there's like a difference between incidental queer 
where it's incidental but still important and window dressing gay. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a good way to put it. <laughs> One of the others that we had talked about yeah. uh, or you were interested in was Leo Loves Aries by Anita yeah. Sunday. I was just thinking about a couple a couple of these, both, um, well, Leo, I, we can start with Leo Loves Aries. And that is one where it's a an MM where um, it's sort of roommates to lovers. There's a brother and sister who are living together um, and they need a roommate. Um, and so they bring in a third, uh, the third character who um, is a former teaching assistant for the young man, no longer teaching in a teaching relationship with him when he moves in. But uh, the young man has a has a crush on him, which is evident to everyone except for him. <laughs> it, it's I like at first I thought I wasn't going to like this because some reviews are like, oh, this is an ex- a great example of gay for you when it's really not. And it's expressed in other books that he is by. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, it's a, it's a great subversion to that trope. Yeah, I and and as someone who is bisexual, I um it was really painfully well done, I thought in the sense of the character who is bi com- slowly coming to the realization that he is in fact bi, but just like being so confused. <laughs> about like am I do I just really 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 like this person as a friend am I like just fascinated with this person like best friend best friend I've ever had like do I just like and want to emulate him you know like do I really admire him oh shit I think I'm actually in love with him and he's teaching me how to swim again after I had a dramatic (laughs) swimming instance when I was a child yeah, and there's like this whole, I mean, and you get a whole bunch of like sharing a bed on a road trip situation, um, you know, so you get a whole bunch of like subtropes that are really delightful, but I thought the sort of internal, the internal journey toward realizing that like the obsession, the emotional obsession with the friend is in fact romantic and sexual was just really well, like painfully well done. I have sort of some quibbles about some of the way that the the later the later relationship stuff played out a little too quickly uh, for my taste, but I but I did enjoy it. I, I go back and reread it every once in a while just for sort of like the the embarrassing, painful familiarity, <laughs> the by realization. I, um, I really love that series in general. Like I really like the relationships and dynamics and stuff like that. Um, um, and the other, there's another one. Felicia Davins out of nowhere, um, which is book two um, of a series, um, is also one of those like by realization um, stories, which I thought was fairly well done. It's a paranormal science fiction, slightly futuristic um, Earth setting. The main characters are childhood friends, and one of the two characters has supernatural powers and has just been rescued from a life-threatening situation at the end of the first book and then they become the couple in the second book and likewise so the the friend who has been instrumental in the rescue knows that the friend who has just been rescued is is gay and that's always sort of like oh he's he's gay i'm straight um i just really care about him (laughs) and like he has been 
in a succession of uh, like girlfriend relationships that have always like have broken up because the girlfriends have pointed out that like he really cares a lot more for his best friend. Um, <laughs> like, which is like, they seem really chill with it. You know, they're like, yeah, you really, you, this is your primary, you're already in a primary relationship and that's cool. You seem really into it. <laughs> Yeah, that one's uh, definitely on my TBR. I have. Yeah, and I can't. She's and the at least one of them shows up at some point after they get together and is like, "Great, congratulations, you two are you two are great." Um, so yeah, it's a really they, they finally get together in a sort of again with that fit. There's there's a period of fake dating um, where they have to 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 date to to con their way into a situation to do something. Not to give the plot away, but. Um, they agree to fake date for a while. <laughs> the fake dating um, really quickly turns into like experimenting with with sort of quasi real dating because they have to like look real. So like so kissing is is good. Public being being handy in public is good because you, you have to look like you're really dating. Um, <laughs> and then that and that lasts for you know like I like well, we have, how inadvertently have two fake dating books on our list so far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so and it, and once again, sort of that continuity of, you know, having a really close relationship that has been a continuity point for both of them throughout their lives, and then realizing that they want to transmute it into something. And I really liked um, at one point the the character who has come to the realization he's bisexual has this thought about the the other character that like transforming their relationship into a romantic relationship is like opening a door in a house that you know he's lived in all his life and finding this whole new room that he's never known about you know and I I really like that sort of idea that like a place can be really familiar but you're still discovering new new aspects to it which I think for myself is one of the things that I really like about the friends to lovers genre is that all of those stories usually involve characters who really know each other very well, but are also open to knowing that they will change together, right? So like that people change over their the course of their lives and being excited about that change and curious about that change and excited about growing together. And I think that's a that's another through line of these tropes that that changes. You're not looking to sort of fix the relationship into a single a single box, right? You're not either friends or romantic partners or colleagues. You know, you're actually able to sort of move move these things through to different categories in in ways that are working for both people um, in really exciting new ways. Um, and yeah, I really like. I like to read that story <laughs> over yeah. and over and over again. <laughs> I think one of the good, um, another thing we were talking about in chat was making friends later in life rather than in childhood. Um, yep. So like care, care and feeding of waspish, waspish widows by Olivia Waite is a great example of that. In that most of the uh, most of the book is pre-romance friendship, and now that. They essentially cast longing glances at each other and are like, oh, is she gay? Does she like me? I don't know. And then, then 
they are in a relationship, don't realize they're in a relationship, and then they're like, oh shit, we do actually like each other, and now we're going to kiss, and then suddenly fist. <laughs> like, there's, <laughs> like, it went from kissing to fisting, and I was like, okay, we're doing this. Um, so I really liked how it handled the, the development of the friendship. Um, I wish it spent more time on the post-realization of romance than it did, but I thought it was a really great example of a pre-friendship and romance, or pre-romance friendship. Well, and I think that just thinking about pacing, and you often get that in um, fanfic too, where because the the unresolved sexual tension in, in a story can go on for a really, really long time, because the friendship, you know, has been going on for such a long time that when the realization happens, it can often feel like, you know, sort of night and day because they realize they've already been, you know, they've been in a relationship. They've already been married for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and, like the, and that was like the thing of like with same-sex friendship that we were talking about earlier and then realizing, <laughs> oh, we're actually in a relationship. And, like, I think that's, like, a thing for a lot of queer women. We're like, oh, we've we've actually been dating this entire time. Well, better get cranking on the sexy times that we're behind. <laughs> right. Like, I like I mean, I, I was living with my wife before we, we started dating. Like, we had, we had literally moved in together. Like, I, I you know, like, I, it's a joke in the lesbian community. But, like, I think that many of us have actually lived that joke. <laughs> And I, and I think reading the the care and feeding of waspish widows felt a lot like that to me. Uh, you know, I am always for like write me more se- write me more sex scenes. I'm totally willing to read them, and that and I could have read more of those in that book. But um, but that that sort of long drawn out, you know, they were getting together every weekend. <laughs> like she kept leaving London to go to Melitin, like you Gotta know, go for check longer, on my longer bees. <laughs> right. I must go check on the bees and then they you know, spend more time taking care of the bees and then there was you know there were just like more and more excuses to go to go out to the country um felt very familiar <laughs> and I think that yeah you see that in this friend in that friends to lovers narrative because people are doing that like I'm just finding more and more excuses to spend time with this person who I really really want to spend a lot of time with you know, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to stay up late and I'm going <laughs> to, you know, find excuses to like sleep on their couch instead of going home. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the interesting things, one of the challenges for a writer of those stories, uh, whether it's in fan fiction or romance, is to sort of navigate that when do your when do your characters take that risk? Because um, a lot of times it's a really, even despite the fact that you're already living together and you've been married for 20 years, to, to actually say something about that is an incredibly vulnerable moment. Um, so like when I was just thinking about the, oh, where did it go for better or worse? So R. Cooper has a novella. Um, it's uh, two co- it's co-workers. They're two um, firefighters. It's a contemporary um, one of the characters self-identifies as demisexual, um, the other character is gay, and they live next door to each other. Um, so they're co-workers and they're also neighbors. And like, 
um, the story opens and they have been basically like eating dinner together and sharing a dog and living together for like over a year um, already. <laughs> um, and, but not admit that they haven't articulated that because the gay character just thinks that the, the demi character isn't interested in a sexual relationship doesn't and the demi character doesn't really understand sort of how to communicate that he he is now interested you know there's sort of been this there's been this delay they've gotten to be really good friends and suddenly he's or over time he's developed sexual interest in the care in the friend but they've gotten past the point where like a dating script would work because <laughs> they're already living together. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't know how to introduce the like, well, we've been we've been living together now. For, <laughs> we've been sharing a dog and having dinner together every day for over a year. Like, I'm really in love with you already. That doesn't seem quite right. Like, that's like, whoa. But it also doesn't seem quite right to be like, so want to go out on a date because they're kind of they're not they're not at that point either. And so that's a really so the story is about like how do they get how do they navigate that right and and I think that's for anyone who's writing a friends to lovers story that's the really vulnerable moment to try to figure out like how do these people who who already have a friendship they value incredibly they don't want to lose that this is a really high stakes conversation yeah. <laughs> this isn't this isn't a blind date that like you could take it or leave it this they don't want they don't want to lose anything of what they already have and it's really hard to ask the other person like are you interested in adding this piece too are you interested in opening this door to a new room in the house um because if they say no it's really hard in our cultural context in a lot of cultural context to then shift you couldn't it would be really hard to take that piece back out um, yeah, I you know people can do it, but we don't have a lot of scripts for doing that. Um, and so I think that's the that's the piece that's really hard to to that that's the moment that, that these stories turn on. I think is how do you how do you get your characters through that through the saying yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes, this is what we both want. Um, one of the other one of the other things I read recently um, was Mooncakes, which is a YA graphic novel by uh, Wenji Wu and Suzanne Walker. Both characters are Chinese American. One is hard of hearing and has hearing aids. The other is a non well, the the one with hearing aids um, is also a witch, and the other one is a non-binary werewolf. Um, so magic and folklore and like the world building is really interesting and not quite explained everything, but, um, it's these two childhood friends who the witch Nova rescues the werewolf Tam, Tam from an evil demon that's been in, that's been released or like trying to be released in like the woods in New England. I think this takes place in Massachusetts <laughs> actually, um, I just read, yeah, I didn't like it very much. There was another werewolf story set in Massachusetts. I didn't know we had so many werewolves in Massachusetts. Apparently, we're full of werewolves. <laughs> but, like, I like 
but um, in Mooncakes, they're kind of like separated from each other because they had to, because Tam's family moved away, and then they've come back to like try to like stop the demon, but they were also kidnapped by the cult trying to like open up the demon from like to release it. <laughs> um, so it's the two of them realizing that they do they love each other and they get to kiss, and it's 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 very cute, and I really like it. And the character who's hard of hearing, Nova. Um, learned non-verbal magic from her Jewish lesbian grandma. It's Sukkot, and they're building the Sukkot, the little house. So, like, and they talk about, like, how they're going to go eat mooncakes in the Sukkot, and it was, like, I really liked how diverse and, the, like, the inclusion of the characters was. Um, and, like, the mentions of, like, the fall harvest and how, like, the magic works. And it was just, it was just really cute. Like they get this like reuniting of friends who are like, hey, I still really like you and we were really great friends and you left and now you're back and I don't want to lose you to like this random demon in the woods. <laughs> random demons are just like super killjoys. <laughs> super killjoys, along with cults. Cults are super <laughs> killjoys. <laughs> Looking at our um, at our title list here, I think another. Um, theme that we have on a in a couple of these titles um, is um, our poly relationships. Um, and I think that um, the friends to lovers narrative is another um, is a home for for um, poly stories. Um, not the only one, obviously, but um, I think it um, it does make space for that because of sort of the queer community. Um, and then also um, so that you've got a larger pool of, of characters that you're playing with. Um, and then in thinking about the titles we have on here, so Jude Lukens um, Behind These Doors, um, which is a historical romance um, that has um, a number of different combinations of people who are in relationship with each other. But um, one of the uh, relationships is um, a a friendship of three people, a woman and two men who have grown up together. Um, so it starts out as a friendship. And then at the point where because this is late 19th, early 20th century, um, the uh, both men and the woman um, are all under pressure to get married for various um, high society English reasons. Um, and basically the two men in the triangle friendship like basically they all draw lots that are like well who's gonna marry the woman um so that we can have this like marriage relationship solidified um so that we can establish a household together um and so they've got the marriage relationship and then the third person who um who is also in the relationship remains a part of the household um that also has to get worked out so they have to sort of negotiate the the friendship around obviously the legal recognition of the marriage throws some of the friendship boundaries into question and all of that, which has to get worked out. But um, but anyway, I thought it was a really interesting sort of the foundation being friendship, um, childhood friendship, um, and then growing up to be this um, romantic relationship. Why don't we wrap it up with anything that's on our TBR? Um, the two that are on my TBR is Defying Conventions by Cecil Wilde. Um, it's out of print from LT, uh, Lesson Repressed, but check your library. And then Hairpin Curves by Ilya Winters. 
And um, I uh, I am completely blanking, so um, I will name my TBRs and send you some links. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Anna. Absolutely. Stay safe. Uh, we'll look forward to listening. And, oh, where can they find you on the interwebs? <laughs> on the interwebs, um, you can find me um, on Twitter uh, at feministlib, um, and thefeministlibrarian.com is my website. Awesome. And you can find me, Sarah, at, at queer reader or queer underscore reader on Twitter and find the rest of Rom Book Pod at, at Rom Book Pod on Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and check our other links on our Twitter. Thank you for joining us today and welcome back to season two. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Book Pod, inclusively yours. If you'd like weekly recommendations for inclusive romance, please take a moment to subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at rombookpod. That's R-O-M-B-K-P-O-D. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, happy reading.